Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alexa Houston, one of our resident DPM experts at the Digital Project Manager. Alexa, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me back. Well, do you feel like your team is making the same mistakes over and over again? And it's probably not just because you feel like they are, it's probably because they are making the same mistakes. And it's probably because you're not helping them change. But there is a helpful tool in our DPM toolkit that can help us change this. And it's the sprint retrospective. Done properly, these are the agile meetings that can highlight opportunities for change. They can generate some process improvements and ultimately help move the team in the right direction. Done badly, though, they're the worst kind of blame game ever. So keep listening to discover how you can use the sprint retrospective as a vehicle to drive positive change. We're going to talk about some of the practical applications to making sprint retrospectives as productive as possible. So just on the off chance, though, that you've missed the last podcast with Alexa, let me introduce her. Alexa is awesome. She's a PM turned new biz gal, and she's currently working at Kramer. Did I say it right that time in Kansas City? It's, it's crema, but oh. at least you didn't call it crema labs. <laughs> it could be worse. So you are a PM turned turned BD. Uh, so can you tell us, like, what, what does that look like? What does a PM turned BD person do in BD? She looks like your regular person. Uh, no, it was a pretty natural progression for me, at least. I work at a small agency. We're a little under... Uh, 25, I believe, as of today. And um, I had been working as a DPM for the last couple of years. And there's just a natural overlap, as most of us know, between sales and project management. And over that time, I got really interested in more of of the sales side of things. And after a few conversations with uh, BizDev and some of our operations people, it kind of naturally came up as an opportunity at the end of last year. And I spent the better half of the first quarter transitioning my projects over to our amazing project managers here. And now I'm full-blown on the um, business development side of things, but with a unique twist of managing many, many projects in my past. So I feel like I have a, a good grasp and ability to talk about the ins and outs with some new prospects and opportunities. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think one of the, one of the big kind of criticisms or pet peeves of PMs is typically that, hey, sales has done this awesome job at securing a new client, but um, somehow they kind of engineered their own estimate and statement of work and timeline that's totally unrealistic. So are you, uh, are you transforming the BD world <laughs> from, uh, from the inside out? Do you, do you find that uh, now you're the one that's, <laughs> that's, that's responsible for giving these... Uh, these crazy estimates and timelines to clients and yeah, then handing no. them over. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Thankfully here, we don't have a huge gap, but there still is one. I mean, with, with any sort of handoff between departments, there might be something's lost in translation. So I'm trying to do my best to highlight where there might be gaps and fill them in from an operational standpoint. So one of those just easy off the cuff examples was we weren't doing a great job at identifying um, which resources were pegged for future projects Right. So, um, you know, who was tentatively booked, uh, we do duration and price agreements. So, you know, at the end of March, for example, we had someone coming off a project and they weren't properly indicated on our forecasting software. Um, Mm. 
where they were going to be next. And so I'm just trying to find those opportunities to plug the holes. But it's not just me. We have a really strong sales and operations team that come together every couple of weeks to identify where we can get better. So I hope I'm not making anything worse um, trying to get better. But it definitely, I do know it does help me coming from a PM background first to be able to speak into some of the you know, the battle scars of product development and have a lot of things in my back pocket that I can refer to. Mm. So, and in, in your new role, then what are the, like, what are the, some of the unique challenges that you feel like you're encountering now that, um, as a PM, you, you always kind of like look to BD and like, Oh, I can't understand why they don't get that right. And then now you're in there, you're like, Oh, I understand now why they get that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good question it's interesting because I think every person we speak with has a unique challenge and we really try to focus on the value we can provide uh, mm. versus the capabilities that we have. Cause we're one of many product development shops in the country um, where I think I might be able to answer your question with an example. I'm trying to think of one is maybe where um timelines come into play. I mentioned earlier, we do duration and price agreements. And I've heard, I had heard prior to me moving into this new role um, in sales conversations, quoting maybe too short of a duration, like, oh, we can, you know, get to an MVP in two months. And I would challenge that now and say, we probably need more like three or more um, just realistically. So it's all about setting expectations as we all know, but that's a really simple example of where I'm trying to get a little bit more in tune and provide examples of, of projects that I've personally worked on. That's been super helpful. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that sounds really, yeah, that sounds really helpful. And so in your in your kind of new role, do you find that there are parts of your skill set that you need to improve? Like, what are you trying to get better at now that you've transitioned into this more BD role? Definitely. Always, always room for improvement. I think my biggest focus, especially in this quarter, as I've gotten my feet under me, is focusing on more consultative sales. So um, we don't, we're not a, a turnkey. We don't sell um, widgets, you know? So we're trying, we're trying to consult our um, prospects along the way and solving their unique business issues. And there's, I'll be honest, there's times where people I'm speaking with them and they have such strong expertise in their industry. And it can be a little in- intimidating for me to ask, yeah. you know, to understand what they're talking about. But yeah. there are common business applications that I can inquire about and get to the core issue or, you know, how are you going to make money out of this product, for example, or what is your business model? How do you intend to you know, skill your business or improve your productivity by investing in technology. Um, so I, what I'm trying to get better at, I guess, in short is being more confident in those early conversations and identifying things that we can help with that maybe aren't as apparent on the surface. Mm. Yeah. And I think, and I think those are, those are useful skills, whether or not you're in yeah BD or you're PMing as well. Like it's, it's all, I think about having, having that confidence to ask what you think might be stupid questions. Totally. And, and they're uh, typically not like people want to be understood. And I think there's a hesitancy sometimes to ask questions in the fear of acting stupid, but hmm. I, I would venture to guess that any clarifying question is, is worth asking if you're not totally sure. So, and another thing I've been yeah. focused on is growing our existing accounts. So we don't have an account management layer here. Um, which some agencies may, 
but it kind of falls on the shoulders of the, the product team to identify, you know, where we can keep moving. But I'm trying to also play that role as well in client appreciation, client hospitality, and trying to identify new ways in which we can work with our clients that we love working with. So that's another area where I feel like having the PM background and getting um, system set up here to be incorporated into projects, even as a BD person now, um, is proven to be effective just as we think about growing accounts within our company. That sounds good. So client hospitality, does that mean taking them out for lunch? Is that, is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, a little bit of that. Some, you know, opportunities to interact with the clients outside of the, you know, weekly rituals, which we'll get to one of those in this podcast. But um, since I'm not on the ground with projects anymore, I still, I don't want to come in later and be like, Hey, I'm the sales girl. Do you want to talk about more money you can spend with us? So just yeah. trying to, to build those relationships along the way, even after I pass, so to speak, the project off to the project managers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a really important point. Like that, um, that handover between sales and account or project or account and project management shouldn't feel like, I feel like it should never be like, okay, well, I've done my job. And uh, goodbye, good luck, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it can it. it can feel that way sometimes. So I'm trying to like like yesterday I sent um, cupcakes to one of our <sighs> client teams just for being awesome, and I was thinking about them. And that's I'm not, I suppose it's not hospitality, more appreciation, but just you know keeping a pulse on things and knowing that we're thinking about them, things like yeah. things like that. Well, let's talk about your articles. So. Uh, Alexa's written a stonker of an article and it's uh, called how to run a sprint retrospective that actually leads to change. So go and have a read if you haven't yet. And if you're new to sprints and scrum, you're in luck because the article actually starts off explaining all of those basics about what a sprint retrospective is, why you should run them and what the difference is between a sprint review and a sprint retrospective. So we cover all those kind of things. Uh, And then Alexa tackles some of the challenges. Uh, What are some of the things you might run into? But for those who aren't doing retros or retrospectives yet, um, help help make the case for us. Like, do these do these really help? I yes, <laughs> they do, and I know they might seem like um, they can either drone on or they're not being effective. But we'll talk about ways you can mix things up and maybe um, rally for more participation. But I truly believe it's important to take a step back in this course of a project, even in the course of your personal life, like not to say you need to do quarterly retrospectives on yourself, but you know, there's some sort of, um, benefit to reflecting on what had just occurred and then putting things in place to help make things better in the future. So I'm a huge proponent, obviously, um, like you mentioned, if you're doing agile processes, you're likely to having these types of conversations already, but yeah, I'm kind of a fangirl. I've, I love them. <laughs> Because I think I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So I have been uh, on on longer longer projects or in where you're kind of in the same part of the process uh, in the product development. Um, I c- you can sometimes find, and we, we'll talk about this, but you can sometimes find that you get to the end of the sprint and it's like, well, yeah, it's uh, pretty much the same as last time. Like, what's going well? Well, we're kind of tracking along okay. Uh, what's not going so well? Uh we're just a bit slower than we thought we'd be. Yeah. Uh, what should we do better next time? Well, we should try and be faster. <laughs> like, um, so for me, the big thing is kind of inertia and the status quo and and then kind of yeah, getting people engaged. So 
let's talk about how we can actually make them effective. And uh, that first thing, I think, for me, is one of the things you mentioned in your article, which is all about fighting apathy. Um, so, yeah, tell me, how, what are your kind of ways that you think we can fight the routineness of a, like a scheduled meeting? Because I think I'm all against meetings for meetings' sake. And uh, totally. we're not careful. This can just be, well, at the end of our, like, it's in our calendars. Everybody knows it's happening at the end of the sprint. We then finally do the sprint retrospective before we start the next one. So how do you fight that apathy? That's a great point. And I, too, hate meetings for meeting's sake. And so there's a couple things I would say to that. Um, Prepare people. And I might have a sunnier disposition than some, but just encourage the positives and maybe you know, pimp the value of what a retrospective can provide. And you mentioned kind of these longer term projects where things just kind of hum along and yeah, there might be some things to talk about, but mostly we need to pick up the pace. So to that, I would encourage, you know, the suggestion that people be collecting thoughts along the way of the sprint versus just waiting to recall at the time of the retro. Cause it can be at that point, maybe null and void, at least at the point of the question. So what I try to do is just along the way, um, collect feedback that I've heard from the team, gripes, um, or, you know, high fives and use those as talking points to start to generate the conversation. Uh, that way you can not have to rely on your memory at that point of, Oh, so what went well over the last rant, what could be improved? So, um, that might be a good way to get started is just offer up the suggestion that people be collecting their, their thoughts throughout the course of the sprint. Um, and then, we'll get into some of these more, some more details later, but mixing things up, you don't always have to ask the same questions and you don't always have to secure 90 minutes for a meeting when it might just take 15 or 20 on those more routine projects, you know, be cognizant of the type of project and schedule that you're in. It doesn't require um, all hands on deck all the time. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's really solid advice. And I think what you're talking about preparing in advance, I think is really useful as well. Cause I think, I mean, with any meeting, what we want to do is to set, send out an agenda in advance and tell people what we expect of them. And I think for a sprint retro, one of the things in order for it to have any value, people need to have thought about it beforehand. And it's great if we ourselves are keeping track of all those things. But what I sometimes find is that I'm the one in the retro and I'm telling everybody what went well, what didn't go well and what we should make, what should we change next time. And everyone else is just sitting there and nodding. And I'm like, come on guys, like challenge me or, um, yeah, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, right. but, so, yeah, but actually giving them the saying, Hey guys, I want you to come to this prepared. I think. Yeah. Really and again, focusing on what, um, what the outcome should be. Cause yeah. D- DPMs are more than likely and probably shouldn't be contributing to the working product. You know, they're just helping to make sure that all the trains are running on time. So the value isn't necessarily on the project manager. It's really more on the development team. Um, and there could be some PM learnings there. In fact, I've adjusted processes several times because of suggestions made in the retro. So it, it really is sort of a holistic, um, view of the project from, you know, DPM all the way through the whole team that is, is contributing to that. So, yeah. um, yeah, I agree. Just getting prepped and, and making sure that the team members know that this is in their best interest too. Yeah. And in your article, you talk about a couple of the things that we can do to 
elicit some like for when we have people who aren't talking or um aren't contributing what are the, what are the kind of things that uh yeah that you'd suggest that we can do to actually help people i mean one thing is preparing but then help them contribute in the meeting itself right um there's a lot of different ways you could do that um you know in terms of asking different questions as i mentioned or um sort of um you know, going around in a circle and almost requiring, this might not sound ideal, but almost mm. re- almost requiring that everyone has an answer. So don't just throw yeah. it out and wait for someone to pick it up like a hot potato, but just say, all right, we'll start to my right. Or, you know, we're going to start yeah. with you, John, and go around. And that way everyone um, ought to contribute before moving on to the next person. Yeah. No, I think, I think, that's, I think that's really helpful. The other thing I found really helpful is um, when there is, <laughs> when you know you have a team, that's usually reluctant to say anything um, saying, okay, let's start by everybody just take some post-it notes, write down three things yes. across our three categories. And you give them like two minutes to do that. And uh, then they can't, yeah, they can't not say anything. Yeah. So um, I find that helpful too. Totally. That's a great example. And it makes, takes the pressure off a little bit. Sometimes it might feel, especially if something is particularly sensitive or, you know, maybe a little bit of a, a, a risky suggestion for whatever reason, it maybe makes this person feel a little more safe. Cause again, the retro shouldn't be a blame game. It should never feel like people are pointing fingers at each other. Um, it should really be constructive and help offer up, um, you know, both things that were great and things that could be improved. And so that idea of kind of, um, putting it, you know, pen to paper might make people feel more comfortable. Yeah. And so one of the things that you cover off in your article is, you know, how we elevate them, how we make them, how we make them better. So let's talk about um, some of those. Now, um, yeah, one of the things that you mentioned in kind of making our retros better, and I love this, is like incorporating some novelty into it. And, uh, you know, what we've, we've kind of covered that just now, like when we talked about, okay, just get everyone to write something down. But what are your, what are your, some of your favorite games or uh ways that you actually get people thinking about things and so that we stop it from being so routine yeah one of them i've only done it once but it was it definitely mixed things up um it's the lego retrospective and you just find yourself a bunch of lego blocks and you bring it in and you know throughout the time box that you've set for the retro you let people create shapes out of the blocks that represent the former sprint that you just completed. And then they also create a shape out of the blocks that should represent the future sprint. And they have to talk about the differences and, and why they made what they made. And it's very abstract. Like people have to use their imagination, <laughs> yeah. but it keeps the conversation How many going. blocks are you giving them? <laughs> uh, however many you have on hand. Uh, no, I, and how, I, and I, how long was your time box? Was it a week? We, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> they created some amazing things with Legos. No, um, <laughs> we, it was like 45 minutes, I think. And it was really oh, well, interesting okay. because um, the, what we got out of it was just an, a unique conversation. And again, like abstracting from the day to day and mixing up the questions um, into more of an exercise where you're using your brain, you know, creatively, which if you think about it, I just put two and two together. Code is kind of like a Lego block. And so mm-hmm. it might help people think about the, um, the suggestions they make in a different way. If they're trying to create it in a, in a shape using Legos, I don't know, that might be a stretch, but. I mentioned it. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think, 
I think the the point that it, behind it is important, and that is that what we're trying to do is just get away from net the just making things feel routine. And I think as, as soon as the team feels like, oh yeah, this is just that meeting that we do after uh, the sprint review. Um, and I've got yeah, haven't really got anything to add. What we're trying to do is change that. We're trying to trying to make trying to make it actually valuable. And uh, and that's one of your other points about making it action orientated. Um, so yeah, how do you how do you turn these kind of feelings and um, ideas into like take them to the next step so that we can do something about it? Totally, I think it's important too because you'll you know hopefully have a very. Per- productive conversation where people are contributing. Um, but it may not be a pain point felt by all and that's okay. Um, you want to make sure you're validating people's thoughts and feelings. Um, but oftentimes I'll ask like, does everyone agree with what was just said? And if there's a resounding yes, then there's an opportunity to create some sort of action item out of that. So as an example, Mm -hmm. um, we had a, we had a good conversation in a project around writing test cases and, um, we were finding that like the, the way in which we were incorporating those into the tickets wasn't fitting right. And it was brought up by our QA person, um, maybe obviously. And, but the whole team could understand that there was some issues with it. So point being everyone agreed. And then we created, um, sort of a new step in our workflow to accommodate that and assigned it to the person who would be pulling it through. So my point with that whole thing is if there is a, something that can be changed, uh, make sure to document it and then assign it with accountability for that person to whether, you know, that's to experiment with it the next sprint or report back in a month or bring it up the chain to leadership, whatever that looks like, making sure that people know if they are responsible for taking action. Mm. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, one other thing that you talk about in your article is um, having an outside perspective. Now I'm, I'm like I'm curious as to uh, have you how how outside have you got like have you have you used people from another team or have you actually got a consultant in how have you uh, have you been able to do that Yeah, it's a good question. So personally, um, I've I've relied on internal resources to join retros occasionally, um, as in because as as Agile teaches us, the retrospective should be within the core team. You know, you don't need to have all the client stakeholders or, you know, ancillary players involved. But I've a couple times asked that, um, like our COO, for example, who's well ingrained into the the company and the happenings of projects. I asked him to join once as a kind of a neutral third party to help make sure that we were identifying the right things and kind of, he's really good at asking questions. So he would kind of dig in when he noticed something was being spoken about, um, to make sure that we're getting to the core issue. But I have, I'm involved with a, a lean coffee group here in, in Kansas city. And we have an event every third Thursday where a bunch of DPMs get together and talk about, you know, what's happening with their projects and the organi- organizations that they're in some challenges they're facing. And a few of them have mentioned that they've brought in uh, outside consultants to help with, I imagine much more than just retrospectives, but um, that is an option that people have exercised in the past, I know, where they'll bring in an agile coach to the whole, you know, sprint ceremonies, including the retro to help them identify where things need to go. And perhaps that's an output of conversations had in a retrospective. Um, but it can be helpful maybe to have someone else in there who's not as familiar with the ins and outs to, 
to just come in with as a neutral third party to say, oh, that was kind of interesting. Can you go into that in a little more detail? And mm-hmm. that might generate some new insights just yeah. as, a, as an example. Yeah. So of all the things that kind of we've discussed and that you talk about in your, in your article, what do you find is the hardest of, of all these things to do right? So if, uh, yeah, what, what can we learn from in terms of the things that actually probably that people are realistically going to find the most tricky? Yeah, I, I think it is honestly um, getting engagement, I'd have to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and finding ways in which your team doesn't just like oh, this, this again um, and and really pushing for valuable outputs and I should mention it's you know as a scrum master or as a DPM you ought to be coaching the team too kind of in a certain servant leadership way so you can't will your excitement upon other people and you can't will people to um, you know share their um share your enthusiasm, but you can do simple things like instead of opening up with the same questions every time, open up with a clip from the office and making it a little more fun and novel and, you know, pull pull the old cookie card, bring in some food, make people feel like this can be a casual, but productive conversation or, you know, things like that. Um, because engagement, I think can be the, the trickiest part. Just, I'm not cracking any codes here, but I'm realistic. And I know that projects can kind of drum on for quite a while. I've, I've actually never been on the, um, I've always been on the agency side, so I can't imagine what it's like if you've been on a product for, you know, months or years. And, um, but even still, I can imagine that there can be incremental, uh, improvements you can make along the way. And oftentimes those are talked about in retros. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, in the article, in case you're listening and thinking, yeah, that's all cool, but I need some ideas. Uh, well, Helpfully, in uh, Alexa's article, there is a link to um, a whole bunch of games, and uh, there's there's like they just go on and on and on. There's 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 a lot of things you could do, <laughs> and uh, so if you're struggling to to yeah to fight that kind of apathy and to keep it um, interesting, uh, there's a really helpful link in the article. Uh, so go and check that out. But for those of people who um, are like haven't even ever done a retrospective before. And uh, are thinking, okay, well, you've talked about a lot of different things here. Um, what, where's a good starting point? Do you think where, how, if we're just starting simply and small, um, what's the, what's the most, what's the quick win? What's the easy, most but most important thing for us to be doing? It's a great question. Um, you could, I think, the simplest questions to ask are, what do we want to continue to do? Uh, what do we want to stop doing? And what do we want to try? Yeah. Um, those are three simple ones. Another thing I can, another way to approach it is, you know, what did we do well? What could we improve? And what do we want to keep doing? Um, so, you know, getting to brass tacks and, and just offering up the opportunity for people to reflect on, on the work that was just completed and uh, kind of ideate on some suggestions to make it better because we're, we're not perfect. No project is perfect. Um, I'm not suggesting this is the silver bullet that makes everything better. You know, there's always going to be things we can improve and, and learn upon. And there are things outside of the team's control that I think, sh- you know, will have impacts on the product, but definitely letting the team talk about those, but doing your best effort to mediate and keep things, um, 
as neutral as possible because I know it can be challenging to teams where there are outside factors that have limitations uh, or putting limitations on their work. Um, Mm. And maybe there's, you know, ways in which the team can help drive change with that. And I know there's resources out there as well on, you know, how to make process improvements um, to drive change. But um, my point with all that is helping, you know, have people recognize that there's a, a, a dedicated time at the end of every sprint for them to share their thoughts and offer feedback on what could be improved, I think is just, that's it. That's, that's the goal with the whole retro. Mm. Yeah. And I think your point there about positivity, like is, is important, right? Because yeah, so often there are external factors, like there are always things that are going to suck on a project. Uh And, And some of those things that you're like, we should stop doing this. It's like, well, <laughs> sorry guys, but we can't. That's yeah. just the way it is. <laughs> and um, that somehow t- trying to turn it into a positive or tr- trying to find a way that actually we can work around it. Like the focus has to be on improving rather than it just turning into a big whining session. Totally. About everyone t- about how the client sucks and has changed their mind about the, you know, the priorities again, I know. <laughs> whatever and, it might be. And I may be an optimist, but I also have a healthy dose of realism. So I know that there's you know, things that are terrible sometimes, but that the team can't directly control. And so I think as the facilitator of these retros, it's important to let people feel safe to voice that, but then definitely, like I said, mediate. And, um, there's a balance though, because you don't want to just like put a blanket, like, Oh, everything's going to be great and everything's fine. And don't worry (laughs) about it because that's, people don't trust that. And it's, that's not real. And so finding the right balance between, you know, keeping things light, but also trying to dig into areas um, that really are challenging the team and finding ways in which to take that up the ladder, find your allies within the organization, whether they're on the team or outside of and, and see how you can help be impactful to make the, make this better. I mean, I would imagine if uh, an organization, an agency is, has an agile team or is, you know, is building digital products. um, They are probably progressive enough and know the value that their team is providing. So, um, you know, if those things do come up, definitely don't brush them off, Um, note them Mm. and find ways in which you can find alliances within the organization to, to take them to discussion. Wise advice. Alexa, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us today again. Oh, yeah. No, it's been great. Thanks for having me. And if you've uh, enjoyed hearing Alexa's wisdom, well, you're in luck because Alexa's also going to be making an appearance on our upcoming course, Mastering Digital Project Management. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, but you know you need some PM training, check it out. It's a seven-week crash course. That includes some interactive video, uh, some weekly webinars, assignments, group discussions, and also the option of coaching sessions too. So head to digitalprojectmanagerschool.com and get yourself signed up before the course fills up uh, as there are just a few places left. Uh, But also, if you'd like to contribute to the conversation on retrospectives, then comment on the post and head to the resources section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team. And you're going to find more than a thousand other DPMs there talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, So there's all kinds of interesting conversations that you can be a part of. But until next time, thanks for listening.